0: Would you be a vampire? Yes. What would you do?
1: I don't know. I feel like the Buffy universe seems like a fun time to be a vampire.
0: But there, you're just automatically a jerk. Well, few exceptions. Yeah, I mean But you like, know how to fight and you turn into an asshole as soon as you become a vampire.
1: Yeah, I think that would be fun.
0: I would rather just be myself but a vampire. I also don't really want to be a vampire. Because right. I think um, like eternal life, that sounds rough. <laughs> Because I feel like uh, eventually, I li- that's why I like this one a lot, because eventually you just become sad and creepy and live in a castle by yourself. That's what's going to happen.
1: That sounds great. Oh, well, yeah, maybe. Actually, no, I, th- I think I need people, which is why I need to keep being human.
0: Yeah, I like the finality of humanity. Yeah. You have a finite amount of time and then that's it.
1: But yeah, and then you just be as social as you can be during your human time.
0: Do you? That's not what we do.
1: No, you're right.
0: I, in fact, do the opposite.
1: <laughs> it would be cool to be a vampire. I don't know that I would choose it.
0: No, I think it, it definitely depends on your vampire universe rules. But overall, I'd probably not be a vampire.
1: Yeah, unless it was like angel vampire rules and...
0: Where you kind of become... Whatever you want to be, depending and on the episode. And you can just kind
1: of like drape a coat over your shoulders and you're fine. Yeah. Also,
0: why is he choosing to live in LA? Right? That's a bad it's idea. It's like one
1: of the sunniest places. See,
0: living in Edmonton wouldn't be bad. No.
1: especially half the year,
0: you can walk around for more than half of the day.
1: Exactly. So I think that would be good.
0: I uh, wrote a script once called Interviews with Some Vampires, <laughs> and it was a <laughs> mockumentary, and it was about vampires and how they choose to live in Edmonton because oh, it's like a big that. city, but it's uh, dark a lot because of our winters. And it was kind of funny, but like some characters, there's like a 14-year-old who's actually like 312, and she just wants to go like buy some vodka, and they won't let her, right? <laughs> so she has to deal with that kind of stuff. But uh, And then... What We Do in the Shadows came out, and I was just like, oh, they did everything I was going to do, but better, so that's it, and I never made my movie.
1: Oh, that's sad. Yeah,
0: but What We Do in the Shadows is pretty great, so (laughs) I'm fine with it.
1: I think Edmonton would be a great place to live as a vampire. I think so. It's like 4 o'clock p.m. during the height of winter until like 8.30 in the morning.
0: You can just live. You could have a job in Edmonton as yeah. a vampire and be fine.
1: And there's lots of jobs that people don't want that are overnight jobs. Yeah. So you you could have a full time wage and just be very pale. And now they have products for that. So fake tan and pretend that you go out during the daytime.
0: Well, let's uh, start up our episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Welcome, everyone, to an episode of I Love This, You Should Too. And we are members of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. My name is Indy Nosferatu Randawa, And with me is Samantha Renfield Randawa. Oh. Oh, you got to be my sidekick. Maybe you should be. um...
1: Uh... We're not
0: very vampiristic.
1: No, I don't really want to be Ellen.
0: No. Well, she's, she's the hero, though.
1: True, but she's also just like, I don't know. I didn't enjoy her. I'd rather be Annie. Who's Annie? The wife of the family that Ellen goes and lives with. Oh. While, uh, while Mr. Butter is away. <laughs> she seemed like more fun. They were like playing croquet by the seaside.
0: All right, well, if um, (laughs) all this rambling wasn't clue enough, we are going to be talking about the 1922 classic horror film, Nosferatu. It was my pick- And of course, it was my pick. And I made (laughs) Samantha watch it. And we're going to get into it if it's as great as I think it was. If Samantha was able to get through the whole thing without
1: falling asleep,
0: maybe she really, really loved it.
1: I did not fall asleep.
0: Oh, well, there you go. We answered that question already. (laughs) But we'll answer the rest of those questions in just a moment. But first, let's hear from... The Alberta Podcast Network, and another episode on the network.
1: In a world where boring dinners and ungrateful children make cooking almost unbearable. Whoa, that's a little too dramatic. Let's try this again. I'm Heather Dyer. I'm Erin Walker.
0: And I'm Sarah Soma This is Three Kitchens, a podcast about home cooking.
1: Whether you like cooking or you just like eating, join us to talk about food. We'll have new episodes of Three Kitchens every Tuesday, wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Three Kitchens. They'll tickle your funny bone, wet your appetite, and warm your heart.
1: Did that guy think he was Bruce Wayne? I kind of liked it, actually. He made us sound super badass.
0: (laughs) All right, well, let's get into Nosferatu. And maybe if you haven't watched it and you're still for some reason listening to this, which is odd, but I think you should watch it. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I really pitched why you should watch it last episode as much as I should have because I hadn't seen it in, in 10, 15, 20 years or something like that. And we have this idea of of silent films. They're different. They're hard to get through. It's black and white. It's just not what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And I urge you to think of these movies as not being like cheesy or poorly done, but just being different. And we're very accepting of a lot of things that are different from what reality is. But for some reason, those ones we're fine with, like... When you showed me um, A Christmas Prince, Mm -hmm. that movie blew my mind because it doesn't actually do, it doesn't build the characters or have the plot. It's just if you've watched enough romantic comedies, you know what happens next. right? And they don't even do the things that are in the plot of that movie. They just (laughs) expect you to know and connect those dots because you've seen enough other movies. And then
1: listen to the dialogue, which is where a lot of like composition comes out.
0: And when we watch movies now, like every car, the tires squeal. That's not real life. That doesn't work. But we we accept it. Every time you hang up a phone, it beeps. Every person that dies, they flatline and that makes a beep. Those don't really happen in real life. (laughs) But that's a thing in movies. Fight sequences. Nobody ever fights like any of these things. But we're fine with it because that's what movies are to us. We believe, like, a man can dress like a bat and fight a penguin band and a clown, and it's really, really serious. And that's fine, and we just accept that. Mm-hmm. So I say we have the same forgiveness to someone who, after waking up, spends 15 seconds looking around. Yeah. Because people watch these movies, they're like, he just wakes up and stretches for 15 seconds. That's terrible. <laughs> but it makes as much sense as anything in yeah. a film. So... Just uh, extend that forgiveness to this movie, and I think you might really like it. But that's me, and of course, I already like this movie, and upon this rewatch, yeah, I love it. It's great. <laughs> I think it's a fantastic movie. But Samantha, how did you like Nosferatu?
1: I forgot the like key role of score in a silent movie. I kind of forgot how, like, because now you get, like, scores that just, like, tell you whether it's a love scene or tell you whether it's, like, an action scene. I forgot that this, like, score replaces dialogue. And, like, really, um, the actors are like overacting as opposed to like what we see nowadays. But, like, it really goes with the music. So, I really liked this movie. You really liked it. Yeah. A movie from 1922.
0: 22. That's awesome. And also, the way we watched it was. Probably good for someone who doesn't watch a lot of silent movies because we Mm -hmm. put it on and we like chatted throughout and we didn't analyze. We kind of joked around and we had fun with it. So how was your watching experience of Nosferatu?
1: I enjoyed it. It's interesting. Like as someone with like ADHD who has trouble doing more than one thing at once, this was kind of nice because I could like really soak in what I was seeing, but I could also kind of pay attention to you. And we could have like have a conversation while we were doing it. So I think I prefer silent movies just with my like attention span.
0: Well, you heard it here. We are doing only silent movies from here on out. And I think a movie like this, how would we frame it for a modern audience? Like it's about the vibes, man. Like we don't need to (laughs) get into the dialogue and sometimes not even the plot. Mm -hmm. I think the plot is good and the story is good, but it is about the atmosphere this movie creates. That's its strongest aspect, I think.
1: Yeah, and that score really like wraps you up in how you're supposed to feel. It kind of replaces those like kind of rom-com tropes of just like, oh, well, this is a love scene and we've like fogged the lens a little bit. So like now you're supposed to be in the romantic mood. This was like... They had the highs and lows in the music, and I really enjoyed that.
0: And that combined with the expressionism in the cinematography, it just creates a great mood. Mm-hmm. And I forgot how much I enjoyed these types of movies. Because when I was in my like late teens and early 20s, I watched a lot of silent movies. And it seems odd to me now. Like I thought about it, and I was worried, Did, was I just a pretentious uh, film school kind of guy and was watching all of these and convincing myself like, no, these are important and good. Or are they actually good? And then I watched this and no, they're actually good. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed it. a good movie. A lot of it was genuinely, maybe not scary in the frightening sense, but haunting might be a better word for it. But they're they're spooky parts and I think they were very effective.
1: I feel like current horror has kind of like ruined... A like 2023 audience for this kind of film. I could see in like 1922 it being like legitimately scary.
0: Right. You also said that you found things scary, actually scary in this one, right?
1: A little bit. Yeah. Here and there. I think this movie does a really good job of just like that escapist thing where you're like just all in.
0: You got all into a silent movie. I'm very happy that worked (laughs) out for you. I I
1: was very surprised. (laughs) I thought
0: you would hate it. No,
1: (laughs) I was very surprised just how into it I was. Well, let's
0: talk about it. Maybe I'll give a little bit of context first. Despite this being a kind of monumental in how influential it is and being so old, I don't think I'm going to do the classic Indies film school of this is why it's important. I think I'll give a little context up front.
1: I saw that essay on your laptop.
0: <laughs> I, I started and I stopped myself. You did. <laughs> there's a bunch of things that I'll just say in one sentence and just say like, yeah, go look into this more because there's a lot more to it. But mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about some context, talk about things that we enjoyed, what worked, what didn't, how things could be different if it were done today, maybe. Well, everything would be different. <laughs> and then also maybe just a couple of readings and... um
1: What Nosferatu is all about? Sucking blood. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Answer done. All right, let's go home.
0: Well, we can talk a little bit about expressionism because that's a word I use a lot, and I should probably explain it because I talk about it so much. (laughs) I'm not going to give like the full thing. Maybe when we do The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, which is my favorite of this time and is much more heavy with the visual expressionism, we can talk about it a bit more then. But for our sake today... Uh, German Expressionism was a kind of an art movement, but we're only going to talk about the film side of it, which was big in the 19-teens right through the 30s, then went on to influence pretty much all horror and a lot of the film noir detective-type movies once those German filmmakers came over to the U.S. when they were fleeing the Nazis. And after World War One, the Treaty or the Accord, I kind of forget now, I really should have brushed up on my history, but... After World War One, Germany had to pay a lot of reparations because, you know what, they were being jerks and now you have to pay the price. True. So they financially were quite destitute they were in a place of isolation the government banned all imported things like uh, like films so this is just when the hollywood system is getting going but the german system starts existing in essentially a vacuum because they don't have those influences from other countries Mm -hmm. they just have to do everything on their own Which I think whenever that happens, you get some really interesting stuff because you're not being influenced by whatever's successful, you are creating your own thing. And this is a time when all of the the German people are seeing their savings lose value, there's hyperinflation going on, and all of this leads to the government starting to fund the films a little bit more and creating this new film industry. And it really took off. The, um, the Weimar Republic of the uh, interwar period of Germany is where this all is happening. And the fear of what had just happened in uh, World War I and the fear of what could be in this increasingly isolated Germany creates well, many things, but <laughs> two things that we can talk about most uh, easily. One good and one really bad, and that's expressionism and Nazism.
1: Okay, yep. I'm familiar.
0: Uh, The Nazism being the bad one, the Expressionism being the good one, in my mind. (laughs) Good to know. (laughs) And Expressionism just means like the outside world, the visuals we are seeing are influenced and colored by the internal feelings, either of what the film is trying to convey or what the characters are feeling. So that's when we get going into Count Orlok's castle and we have all these big arches that he's going through the shadows are long and looming and everything kind of creates this off-putting atmosphere which now we just know like yeah in a horror movie you make things look kind of scary and it's going to make you feel scared but that wasn't a thing right someone had to come yeah. up with that and this is where that's coming from oh and now of course that's a staple of horror but that's this is where it started maybe I'll just leave it there when we talk about the cabin of dr caligari we can talk about it more but That's a little uh, quick summary of what expressionism is.
1: I guess I didn't realize that, like, they would have, at some point, they being like movie makers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, would have given us the cues to, like, know to be scared or, like, that this is scary.
0: Now we kind of take it for granted because you can look at a still frame from a movie Mm. and you can tell, even if there's not anything explicitly happening in that, you can say, oh, that's a romantic comedy. That's an action movie. That's a horror movie. Mm. Just by the colors that are being used, the Mm -hmm. shapes on screen. But that wasn't always the case. Like that film language had to be created. And a lot of it is being created at this period. Right. That's so interesting. I wonder, like, if it had been done differently, would we have different shapes and colors in mind when we think of horror movies? Mm -hmm. Or is it just intrinsic that these shapes are scary? These colors are scary.
1: And, like, I I don't know why I'm thinking about this, but, like, one thing that I find really scary or, like, off-putting is that, like, really high-pitched, I guess it's like a violin sound? Yeah, that's that's kind of the
0: sound of horror movies now.
1: And that was something that you hear in this. And it's really interesting to kind of get that context on it.
0: You can draw the line from this to Psycho to any jump scare in a modern movie. You get that That sharp shriek of chords. And
1: it's really interesting that this is where it came from. Or this is the kind of film that it came from. Definitely.
0: And I like this one as well because there's a lot of lore behind the movie itself. Uh Like uh, Max Shrek plays the character Count Orlok in this. And people for a long time thought it was a pseudonym because Shrek means terror in German. So they're like, that can't be his name, but no, that's his real name. And there were all these stories at the time like, no, you know that guy? He's an actual vampire. (laughs) (laughs) So people would always talk about that. And I showed you a bit of that movie Shadow of the Vampire, which was made... Oh, I can't remember. In the early two thousands, I think, and it stars Willem Dafoe and John Malkovich, and it's a fictionalized retelling of the making of Nosferatu. Yeah, where Willem Dafoe plays Max Schreck, playing Count Orlock, and he is an actual vampire, and he's killing people on set.
1: Mm-hmm. That was that was kind of fun. I like.
0: I think it's a pretty fun yeah. movie. But of course, he wasn't a vampire. He was just
1: kind of a weirdo.
0: And there are real castles that were used in this movie. The castle that appears at the end, that's all decrepit and uh, has fallen down, was the residence and then prison of Elizabeth Bathory. Do you know about Elizabeth Bathory? I do. So if you don't, she tortured and killed mm, a couple hundred women. Yeah. The numbers, like it's from the virgins 1590s so yeah, like we don't really know the way numbers back when yeah but there's a lot of people who think that this is more of the influence on bram stoker's dracula more so than actual vlad the impaler mm-hmm. because she killed people and drank their blood to restore her
1: youth yeah so
0: that's probably closer to the uh, the vlad the impaler stories.
1: yeah i've heard some like people like historians who've like we were like, that's not what happened. She like cared about her servants and married them to wealthy people.
0: Oh, really? Yeah,
1: they, like they just went off and had like great lives in other parts of the world.
0: Wait, wait, she got, she just shipped like dozens and dozens of young girls away?
1: No, she like <laughs> married them to her nobles and then they went and lived in wherever that noble lived.
0: Oh, Okay, so everyone lived a real happy life.
1: Yeah, that end. <laughs> oh.
0: And they were never heard from again, but they were probably having a great time.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Maybe. Probably not.
1: Probably not.
0: And then a lot of people said the director, F.W. Murnau, was a an occultist and he was into all these scary things, which mm-hmm. not entirely true. In reality, it was the producer who was the occultist and into all the scary oh. stuff.
1: That's funny, in that shadow of the vampire that we watched, it, they're like, oh, I don't want to get the financiers mad and, like, all the producers. It's funny that that was who was actually the occultist.
0: <laughs> yeah, Elbin Grau was um an artist, an architect, and really into the occult, and he was in some sort of hermetic order, which were, a lot of those were pretty popular at the time, and he was very interested in ancient texts and how those could be used Mm -hmm. to, both in art and in life, and he created this production company to make just occult-based films. He was kind of, had this movie not bankrupt him, which we might talk a little bit about, he was going to kind of create... The first kind of cinematic universe. Oh, He had a bunch of movies lined up and they were all going to be horror movies and they were all going to be kind of intertwined, but at least have some thematic elements that would continue throughout. And in 1922, he was doing the the universal monster thing before, uh, before they did.
1: That's so fun that someone had like the foresight to create a whole universe of these people.
0: Mm hmm. But, of course, this movie uh, bankrupt him and <laughs> the production company, and it ceased to exist. Uh-uh. You can read so much, and we could do a whole episode on the physical film and how it survived and everything, but the short version is, this is clearly a ripoff of Dracula. hmm some prints even say adapted from Bram Stoker's Dracula, and in the official print, they did thank Bram Stoker at the end, oh. but they probably shouldn't have because that just made um, Stoker's widow, whose name I forget now, but I think her name was cool, but either way, she became aware of this because she had already turned down their request to make a film of Dracula, so that's why the names are all different, and they changed they changed quite a bit, but it's it's still pretty much Dracula. Mm-hmm. And when she found out about this, she sued the company and won. The producers sold the movie to a different company, so they wouldn't be liable anymore. But that was the end of his company. And the court order was that all prints of this be burned. And they were. But before that happened, I guess it's a a very long story. But essentially, there were like a couple of remaining prints of different types. And if you use the the Kino video Blu-ray that we watched on, it wasn't a Criterion. Like I said earlier, it's Kino Classics, who oh, does okay. Kino Lorber. They do good work oh, okay. for um, especially old stuff. I've never they, heard
1: of them, but I, I trust you.
0: Once we start doing more silent movies, you will.
1: Hmm. Because we're switching only to silent movies.
0: That sounds great. I'd be very happy.
1: Do you want to know Bran Stoker's wife's name? Oh, sure. Florence Balcombe. That's a good name. That is a good name, yeah.
0: So she sued them and uh, they had to destroy all the prints. So this very easily could have been a lost movie because a Mm -hmm. lot of movies at the time were. This isn't the first vampire movie ever, but it is the oldest existing one because many of them are just lost to history. We have no idea what they look like. That was the case for many years, but. Some prints were found and the version we watched is cobbled together from probably like five or six different ones. So it's just
1: whatever it was like surviving. Yeah. Oh. Because
0: not everyone looked the same. Because after it was destroyed, people would fill in gaps. There's versions where there's different actors doing some scenes because oh. they didn't have all of it. Right. There's some Just filling in. Yeah, there's yeah, nice. there's so many different versions of it out there for quite a while but now it's kind of been standardized because they've found enough that they've compiled what mostly was in the movie Hmm. so the version we have is probably quite close to what they saw in the 20s well maybe let's uh, go through the movie a little bit kind of quickly and we'll talk
1: about what we liked Mm
0: -hmm. early on i loved that there's a cat featured very prominently
1: at the beginning yeah yeah Yeah, i was happy about that you you were very excited about that when we first started (laughs) watching you were like oh my god i want to know more about that cat
0: yeah i'm sad the cat didn't come you want to
1: know more about every cat though yeah i
0: want to be friends with every cat i meet all cats are my friends
1: that's indy's life goal
0: yeah (laughs) and pretty quickly into watching it i think you realize that you are watching history This isn't a movie about, it's not a period piece about something Mm -hmm. old. You are actually seeing a world that doesn't exist anymore, which is kind of crazy to watch.
1: I can see what you mean by that. That's something that, like, is very cool. Like, I know we have a lot of, like, period pieces and, like, all of my Tudor shows that I watch and movies. I think this is very cool because this is a time that wasn't caught on film very often.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Like we are going, we are seeing a world that doesn't exist yeah. anymore. Everybody who made this is dead. Mm-hmm. But a lot of these buildings still exist because the exteriors I thought are were great. Because I know I would love the interior stuff because that's when you get more of the set building that is uh, expressionist based. But those exteriors are just so interesting because this is a world from 100 years ago.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I liked the um, that kind of, Facades of the houses in Wisburg. Is that what we're calling it? Wisburg? Wisburg. Sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, I liked the look of the town. And this is post-First World War? Yes. Okay. It's set
0: in the 1830s, oh. but it's being shot in the summer of 21, 1921, I think. So it is um, the interwar period.
1: Okay. Yeah, I I, I liked the look of everything and um, it just looks like another time which it is yeah (laughs) but it just looks like it's very believable um, without being like overdone
0: yeah because of course there are things we watch now like you watch any Eggers movie and that is so perfect uh replication of what mm-hmm. things looked like in whatever year like 1830 or the 1600s he does everything exactly like they would have done it and that's cool and everything but this is actually an artifact of that time like mm-hmm. this is the artifact itself which is is i don't know it, ha- it has some gravity to me mm-hmm. and early on i loved uh when they say, oh, yeah, you're going you're gonna to go to uh, close this real estate deal. Just uh, head over to the land of thieves and phantoms. And he's like, yes, yeah, sweet. Thieves and phantoms.
1: <laughs> I like that this country, Transylvania, which is a place, right? It's yes, a real place? That is a real place. Okay. Yes. I, I sometimes wonder if it actually is a real place. Do we have a listener in Transylvania?
0: Oh, I hope so. I if hope you're so. from Transylvania, let us know. Yeah, we'll please. give you a shout out.
1: I just thought it was cool to have like a title, like the land of phantoms and thieves. I think that was so cool. We should name things more as a society.
0: Edmonton, land of ice and regret.
1: (laughs) So remember
0: when Ellen is going to be staying with friends and you turned to me and you said... If you leave, I should be allowed to stay alone. <laughs> like, the, yes. like that was a matter for debate. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't arguing. Don't
1: shit me off to someone else's <laughs> house. <laughs> there was a couple things in this where I was like, don't don't do that, or like. <laughs> and um I also took well, we'll talk about it later, but there was a couple things that I was like, you don't need to do that. <laughs> But I do know that this was a time when women were like way less independent than they are now. So I get it.
0: True. Also, if I was gone for like months, because I think these journeys last a long time. True. You maybe'd go stay with your mom for a little bit. Yeah, right. nice. I
1: probably would stay with my parents. That's, you're right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have a lot of sleepovers. <laughs>
0: And speaking of all that traveling, I think this movie is so much scarier when you think about that this comes from a time, not even the time it was set, but the time it was made and filmed, that there is such a sense of the unknown. Like for me to think about going to a place, traveling to this place, it might take me weeks to get there and Mm -hmm. I have no idea what it looks like or really how to get there, I'm just figuring it out. And then people are like, oh, yeah, it's a land of thieves and phantoms. And also there's werewolves. And in 1922, I, I hate when people are like, oh, yeah, in the olden days, they believed everything. But I think like werewolves, I think more people believed that those are real. Yeah, right? there,
1: I think so. I think there was less ability to like debunk things right. back then. Also, the idea of going somewhere that I've never seen and have no knowledge of, it makes me very anxious.
0: See, I traveled a bit like that. I did a lot of my traveling, not pre internet, but pre smartphone. And Mm -hmm. I would go to a city and not really know my way around and have to use like actual maps. Yeah. Which now seems kind of scary to me.
1: (laughs) When we went to Mexico on our honeymoon, I literally watched like drone fly throughs of our resort. So I knew where everything was.
0: (laughs) I moved to a country once and I had no idea where the place I would live looked like.
1: That's crazy, and I just moved
0: there, sight unseen, and showed up.
1: So anxious! (laughs) I I don't
0: know how I now I'd be terrified to do that.
1: No, I like
0: I did that more than once. I moved to a country where I didn't know what the room I would live in, where it was, what it looked like, how to really get there.
1: Oh my goodness!
0: Yeah,
1: no, that makes me so anxious. And
0: that's in like the year two thousand five. Yeah. So in nineteen twenty two, they're heading out there, going to the land of thieves and phantoms, and that is so much scarier in itself, let alone (laughs) what he finds when he gets there. And then we get that shot, and we were talking about hyenas, and you had questions.
1: Oh, yeah. It didn't look like a real animal. I said, is that a real thing? That looks like six animals put together.
0: I think that's kind of what a hyena is. That's crazy to me.
1: (laughs) And So, no, I don't believe that they're real. And in
0: 1922, in Germany, I'm assuming that nobody there has ever seen a hyena.
1: Yeah, which is why, like, because they were saying that it gets, like, a werewolf.
0: Yeah, because you hadn't really seen a hyena.
1: Only in Disney movies.
0: And cartoons.
1: And cartoons. Right.
0: So, uh, and you were like, is that real? So imagine if you're in 1922 Germany going, like, what the fuck is
1: that? Yeah, thing? that would be scary. So, and I could totally see where you'd get werewolf from that.
0: In the world of the movie, is do you think that is meant to be a werewolf? I think so. I agree is do you think that is meant to be count orlock no there's just a vampire and then there's also some werewolves?
1: yeah i think like i said earlier like there was not as much ability to like debunk things like now you can reverse image search something and right. like be like oh that's that's a hyena um back then i think the unknown would be like Oh, well, it must be something mystical or like something that we don't understand. So it's dangerous and we don't know what it is.
0: Definitely. I, I agree that I think that is meant to be a werewolf in the world of the movie. Mm-hmm. But we often have that idea of vampires being able to shapeshift. So I was wondering if maybe that was Count Orlok in his animal form. Oh, maybe. Because then it's just kind of a throwaway of like, oh, also there's a werewolf.
1: yeah. True. I just assumed that it was like wild country and the villagers were just like scared to go out. Because and they of, were scared. there's actual werewolves out there. Yeah, they were like scared of the wild, which fair. Fair. <laughs> there's some very scary things. There's goddamn werewolves. That That hyena walks so weird. I literally have never seen a real hyena, I guess, because I had no idea that they walked like that and that they actually looked like that. Because
0: they're kind of like... Front wheel drive. Yeah. That's how they're different from like other dogs. And It
1: kind of looks like a human if they walked on all fours.
0: Like a werewolf.
1: Which is why I think, yeah, werewolf would be the first thing that would come to mind. Because they do. They look like they're, they're leading with their hands.
0: So then we get to the castle and we meet the count. Or I guess first, before that, he gets the, the carriage ride in and they do the negative, which yeah. I think worked. I know it's like... I know exactly what it is, but it still seems like eerie and off-putting to me.
1: Yeah, I liked his carriage ride. I liked when he gets kicked out of the carriage and they're like, "Mm, no, this is as far as we go. And then he just has to like walk through this wood on his own. Well, the count comes and picks him up. Right. But like he has to like at first figure out what he's going to do, which seems scary.
0: Pre-Google Maps, man. It's a whole nother world. Was
1: he just following like a regular map to get there then? I don't know. That seems crazy to me.
0: That people just use maps. <laughs> like this you're talking about <laughs> things that I've done in my lifetime. <laughs>
1: yeah. I um don't do maps. <laughs> I don't really understand.
0: Yeah, I would just be walking around like Copenhagen with a paper map and that's how I found places to stay and you couldn't book online. You'd go there and be like, "Hey, do you have a room?" and then <laughs> That's just how the world worked for a long time. Huh. This, I think he's just, he probably has like a hand-drawn map that some guy at a tavern gave him. Right. But I i loved the first introduction to uh, Count Orlock, first as the carriage driver, and then when we see him just being all creepy. Mm-hmm. How did you like the physical appearance of Count Orlock?
1: I really think this actor did a good job. Oh, fantastic. Like- his body, like the way he holds his body in that kind of almost like backwards diagonal way.
0: It's just everything is uncanny. Yeah. It's not so far with a lot of modern horror where it's just some the big grotesque monster. You can see the human there, mm-hmm. but everything's just not quite right. Yeah. And not quite right is often so much scarier than like a big grotesque monster.
1: True. And yeah, so the way he stands, the way he like holds his arms up so close to his face, like that's weird. His facial features where they've done makeup, like actual makeup are weird. It's, I I think it was such a good job of just making him very creepy.
0: I I love the makeup on him and it's Mm -hmm. so different than where we see vampire makeup go. Yeah. Because it starts like right in the 30s when we have kind of your sexy, suave vampire. And this one is kind of grotesque and I found him pitiful. Mm. Did you get that as well? Like, did you find him a pathetic character?
1: I would say he looked feeble. Yeah. And that might have made him a little bit pathetic, but I don't think that he seemed pathetic in general. I think he had too much, like, evil malice to be pathetic.
0: True. I think there's that, but to me there was something in him that kind of pulls a little bit of sympathy from you because he's not a... He is is a straight-up monster, but Mm. it seems like there are some layers to it. And I like the idea of Making a scary character, but rather than making them outrightly threatening and intimidating, they're creepy. He's definitely creepy. Oh, he's but totally But I creepy. think there's some, I think he's a little bit pathetic as well. I love the coat that he wears and how they kind of, they must like pad it up a little mm-hmm. bit to change his form and make him just a little bit more or a little bit less human.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that long buttoned up coat. And he seems so cylindrical. Yeah, In it, like, he doesn't have that waist or, like, like classic body anatomy. I thought he seemed not fake, but, like, otherworldly. Yeah, because
0: of how it we- was shaped and how he's confined mm-hmm. in that coat. His shoulders don't look like they're coming from the right place. The yeah. shape doesn't look correct. He's too tall, but then he t- has no neck as well. Mm-hmm. It was just, yeah, it's all very off-putting. And it's interesting that we had essentially the same vampire for a hundred years. Your Bella Lugosi classic of mm-hmm. the, kind of like a suave vampire. Yeah. Right? He, he has an accent, but he's, you s- understand the sex appeal of that yeah, vampire. he's
1: got more like charisma.
0: And this one is quite different. And it's kind of, it went from this, and then it was the same vampire for a long time. And we don't get it going back to a kind of creepy one, maybe until like Francis Ford Coppola's... Uh, bram stoker's dracula where mm-hmm. gary oldman plays dracula and he's i i think that one is quite good i also haven't seen it in many many years it might be terrible but we had that same sexy vampire for a real long mm-hmm. time and i like that although this is kind of an originator it feels like it's something new
1: right and then movies went real sexy with the vampires
0: right yeah, I like that there's no elaborate backstory to him. There's no romanticiza- romanticization.
1: Yeah. What's that word? Romanticization, romanticization
0: of uh, of this vampire. He doesn't get a love story. He's just like a straight up monster. Yeah. And that's terrifying. And
1: all he wants is to suck your blood. Like he doesn't want to get to know people. He doesn't want to romance your wife. He just wants blood.
0: I don't know. I think he might want to romance your wife a little bit. <laughs>
1: I don't think so. I think all
0: vampire stuff is a is a little bit sexual. I think that's built into hmm. to vampire lore. Like right from Dracula and of course Dracula wasn't the first vampire novel, but the first one that I've read.
1: Have you ever read Dracula? No, I haven't.
0: It's pretty good.
1: I feel like I've read a lot about Dracula, so like I don't know if that covers reading the book but i feel like because i had such a vampire obsession as a young person that i did absorb a lot of the like original lore
0: are you most comfortable with like 90s era dracula your interview with the vampire I think that's kind of where i and, started
1: right. i i read like A lot of Anne Rice as... So
0: you are fully into sexy vampires.
1: Yes. Oh, no, I my The original
0: Dracula, in the novel, I remember him not being sexy. Although he gains youth as he drinks blood, I think. But he starts off as grotesque as well.
1: Okay. I think that's where sexy vampires come from, is like the more blood you drink, the more attractive you are so that you can glamour people into um, being willing to let you suck their blood, which is a very interesting idea.
0: Okay, so back to the the plot of the movie. He's in the home now. And I know it's so hard because Dracula and vampires are just so much a part of pop culture. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to think of a time when it's not pop culture. It's lore. It's something that you heard stories about. And you're like, is that real? I'm not entirely sure. And it's still in that kind of world. And I think it's beneficial to reframe this story in your mind of what if you didn't have all of these vampire movies you didn't have an idea of what dracula looks like but rather reframe it in a world where if you're going to this far off land you don't know about and then you have to stay with a real creepy guy Mm -hmm. and yet if you don't know what vampires are that's enough and that's terrifying
1: that would be terrifying just someone who slinks around the castle
0: and just looks like that.
1: Yeah. That, I'd be scared.
0: And if you cut your thumb and a guy was like, oh my God, the blood, and then wanted to suck it? it it's like, fucking terrifying.
1: Clean your wound with his tongue? That sounds gross. Yeah. I'd be like, no, thank you.
0: And that's scary enough without knowing what a vampire
1: is. True. I can definitely see where the vampire like lore comes from of just like creepy people <laughs> being gross.
0: <laughs> I loved so much of the stuff at his castle. I really enjoyed the stuff on the ship on the way back. Yeah. And kind of that race that was set up of um Hutter going back and trying to beat Orlock back there. Yeah. I know I'm I'm glossing over a bunch of stuff, but there's so many great <laughs> shots <laughs> okay, in the yeah. in the ship too. And then it just turns into a straight up plague movie, yeah. which is something that I forgot. And I wonder if I'm just more sensitive, sensitive to it now, post- Post-pandemic? Um, well, not post, <laughs> mid-pandemic. plague <laughs> But I didn't plague. remember this being a plague movie, and it totally is. Mm-hmm.
1: I think it's really interesting to see it now, like, not post-pandemic, but like, having the pandemic as like a thing in our lives now.
0: That we have lived during a pandemic.
1: That um, the idea of like plague mania and like assuming that people had plague and being scared of like the fear of things. If you figured out kind of kind of where plague comes from, like the rats and that kind of thing,
0: and how quickly in this movie they make a scapegoat. They're like, look at that creepy guy. He gave us all the plague. Let's get him, guys. Yeah, and you're like, oh, that was. People in the 1830s, they're so backwards, and then it happens here, and like, oh, shit, yeah, we did that. Yeah. We're all like, hey, now we're going to hate um, the Chinese this week. And those shots of the coffins being carried down uh-huh. the street, and to everyone there, they these are victims of the plague. And everyone's locked inside. It was, uh, yeah, a little too close to home.
1: Yeah, agree.
0: And then later on, there are some really great shots too. And I know so much of this movie I talk about in the shots because that, I think, is the strongest part. <laughs> the cinematography in this is beautiful. So many shots look terrifying. There's that sequence when he, uh, Orlok is watch- walking through this arched door and she is somehow like, calling him, but he kind of moves, moves backwards a little bit. It's just, yeah, such unsettling movements. And then when the frame rate is kind of not completely consistent because it's like in a hand cranked camera, that only adds to it. And then, of course, there's the the shadow shot, like the very right. famous one, where first of him coming up the stairs, and then that one of his fingers reaching for the doorknob, and the fingers get longer and yeah. longer. I, that's, that's just beautifully s- done. So iconic, and that that's expressionism, right there. Yeah,
1: yeah. I've I feel like you said in the pre episode of like, oh, you're gonna see a lot of things that like are redone in future films and that kind of thing. And I definitely think that's one of the ones that I've seen done of like just the shadow hand Mm -hmm. reaching and being creepy.
0: I can't remember what movie it was now, but just two weeks ago we watched a movie and I was like, oh, that's that shot from Nosferatu because they were very clearly just doing that.
1: I can't remember what it was, but yes, I do remember you saying that. And then you're like, you'll know soon.
0: (laughs) That's exactly (laughs) what I said.
1: (laughs) And how you sounded.
0: What were your favorite parts of this movie?
1: One of my favorite parts was kind of the tension that builds in the castle between Orlock and Hutter and the kind of um, like Hutter trying not to be scared and trying to be like a very like reasonable, sensible man. Be mm-hmm. like, no, like, like I know you said it was vampires and you gave me this book that said it's vampires, but like, this is a business transaction. And I'm also just maybe do my job,
0: maybe greed. Because yeah. he's going to make a lot of money from Exactly.
1: This. So it's I like that he's fighting that fear at every turn where Count Orlok is like clearly just being a vampire. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. He's just vamping it <laughs> up yeah. all over the place. So
1: it's really interesting to kind of see that tension that they build and they managed to do it without words.
0: I think the tension worked very well. And my favorite stuff is a lot of what you were just talking about. All of the bits in the boat I thought were great. Mm-hmm. Orlock watching Ellen through the window. Those shots were terrifying. Yeah. And when I was younger and watched this, I first thought there was something over his eyes. Oh. And those are just his eyes. He just doesn't blink in this movie. That's crazy. Apparently he blinks once. I never caught it, though.
1: No, I don't think I saw that. So but that just adds that's to That's another it. thing that makes it very unsettling.
0: Yeah. Just no blinking, trying to make and it less human.
1: how wide he holds his eyes so the wide. entire movie. Yeah.
0: yeah, they look fake a lot of the time. They do.
1: <laughs> they very much do.
0: Really, I guess all of the Orlok stuff is my favorite part because there's <laughs> so many good parts to it. Yeah. Well, we can talk about a few different possible readings of this film. Mm-hmm. Because of the time it came out, I think you could take this as a reading about about World War One mm-hmm. and the, the tragedies suffered there. Hutter could be a World War One soldier who has seen some terrible things and his wife is kind of like holding things down mm-hmm. at home because that happens in it. But I think a lot of people make the argument that this is almost a premonition of the anti-Semitism or maybe not premonition, a product of the anti-Semitism within Germany at the time. Because you could say that um, the depiction of Orlok is kind of like a lot of the... Nazi propaganda pictures of the Jewish people. Uh, They were talked about as being rat-like. They always put that together. And he, of course, has rats with him all the time. He's Mm -hmm. a bringer of disease, which is something that they would say about the Jewish people. So there is a lot of that. I don't know if I fully buy into that one, though. And if it is there, I think it might be just because of when it came out. Like a lot of those images were at the forefront of everyone's mind, because
1: Mm. I could see this being of that time and that mindset. Um, Maybe not quite as much as like German people versus Jewish people, but like an us versus them, because the idealism in Germany at the time is very much like, we're the best. You guys suck.
0: (laughs) I think that might be baked right into vampire lore Mm -hmm. itself. Like, I think that's in Dracula And also, like, in this movie specifically, if you're going to say, like, this is an anti-Semitic movie, there were many Jewish cast members. Mm -hmm. The people in this movie mostly all fled the Nazis. Right. Because most of them were a lot of uh, leftists, a lot Mm -hmm. of communists, uh, some Jewish cast members. And then most people say Murnau himself was gay, but we don't really have all of that information because it was like 100 years ago
1: right and yeah so i i can definitely see like an us versus them like oh we don't know what he does in his castle like he probably is just like sucking people's blood and eating them that's i could see that being of that time
0: and the writer of this movie was jewish as well and he wrote the Gollum movies Mm -hmm. and uh, the Gollum is a very good german silent film that is Oh, and why that's important is because it is about, it's a Jewish story. Do you know about golems? Not really. They are um, like big clay things. They were protectors of the Jewish people, and you could kind of uh, command them to go do things. And it, it's a good movie, though, the first golem. I think there were sequels to it as well. So they were doing like sequels in the 20s as well.
1: <laughs> good to know that we didn't start doing that.
0: So it seems, I think, less likely that this was anti-Semitic propaganda and more likely that it is a product of a time when that was very common or perhaps even that this was so successful that it itself influenced a lot of that anti-Semitic propaganda. And just like what you were saying, the othering is a part Uh of this movie. And I think Dracula itself, like the novel, relies a lot on xenophobia and the fears of the outsider I think there is a lot of um, post-colonial uneasiness in Dracula because even in the movies we see in the 30s and 40s, he's always an Eastern European and he's like coming here and he's going to take what's yours and he's mm-hmm. preying on the women of the of the West. Mm-hmm. So it's always that outsider bit. And I think that is kind of like right in, in vampire lore and the um, conflation with them and uh, bringing in disease as well.
1: Mm-hmm. Is this the same kind of idea as like Beauty and the Beast? Like that guy up in his castle and like get him because he's different.
0: Are we talking Disney Beauty and the Beast? Yes. Yeah. Well, there I think we don't know it for most of it because they don't know what's in the castle. Right. It's only until after when Belle. You know what? Let's do an episode on Beauty and the Beast because I have a lot to say about that too. Done. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Sorry, back to what we were talking about. Yeah, so I'm
0: just saying that I don't think this itself is an anti-Semitic movie. I think that vampire lore and specifically Dracula relies on xenophobia as Mm. as part of it. I think the plague stuff is much more prevalent than than anything anti-Semitic because this was just two years after the blue pandemic or what we incorrectly call the Spanish flu a lot of the time, where I think... 200,000 Germans died? Yeah. So this is in everyone's lifetime who's Mm. watching this movie. So I think that's right at the forefront. And of course, that is closely related to that xenophobia. But then you're like, which part is first? Mm -hmm. Which is at the forefront of this? Are we saying that this is a movie about xenophobia because it uses the plague stuff, which is always linked with that? Like the outsiders are bringing that in? Or is this a movie about the plague which is so close to the lives of all of these people and then that works in with the fear mm. of the outsider but i guess you can't really separate them
1: i this is off topic but i heard a really good podcast about um what they called the spanish flu and um how it was whatever country your country was worrying with at the time yeah it was their flu yes so <laughs> like, that's
0: also what they used to always call venereal diseases right. yeah like it was the the British sickness or the French sickness, depending on where you were from. Yeah, it's always it's
1: always them. Yeah, it's right? always so
0: that's more of the outsider. Those guys, yeah. not
1: us. Yeah, not us. We're
0: foreigners clean. are always coming in here. Yeah. they're spreading their germs. They're taking our
1: women. Yep, <laughs> all of it.
0: And then I think there is a sexual reading in this one as well because there is a the fear of sexuality that this guy this vampire, this foreigner is going to come and he's going to penetrate your wife quite literally with, her, with his teeth. In this case, they're the front teeth. Which right. is, yeah, that again, was
1: an interesting set of teeth.
0: I wonder if that's a choice and they're going into the more rat-like stuff because mm. he is associated with the rats right. so often. in this. And those were some scary scenes were just like hundreds of rats oh, coming God. out of that. Those and are my you nightmares. know, this is like in the 20s. There's just a guy down there forcing rats through yeah. a hole, I'm sure. That was
1: his job. Oh, the rat wrangler. Oh, Gross.
0: I can't remember where that sentence started. but Oh, yeah, the teeth. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if in the novel they say which teeth they are.
1: Hmm. Nowadays and in the 90s, they're it's always the canines, it's the canines yeah. because those are the ones that are just like naturally more pointy. Um, It was really interesting to see a different set of teeth be the vampire teeth.
0: It's easier to be sexy with sharp canines yeah. than big buck teeth like this.
1: It just looks a little bit more exaggerated than normal.
0: Yeah. And this looks just grotesque. Yeah. But the, the sexual component, I think, of course, that's not new. It's always a component of vampire movies and the Dracula novel. But I feel like it's more interesting here because we don't have a vampire that looks like... Um, what's his name? Cedric Diggory? Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson, We have this like grotesque figure. So when there is sexuality coming from someone or something that looks like that, that's so off-putting, it's more interesting and also he's not just into like teenagers that look like Kristen Stewart he's into like Hutter at the beginning there's a lot more ambiguity to his sexuality because there's that sequence where Nosferatu is I'd say hitting on him Mm -hmm. and then we get a cut and Hutter wakes up in the chair and he's all like sprawled out and we don't know what happened. He wakes up, of course, there's the, the bite on his neck that right. he says two mosquito bites.
1: <laughs> Please write me about every mosquito bite you get this summer.
0: <laughs> but also we didn't see that. So we don't know what happened. And also other people that he bites, he kills. Yeah. But Hutter's still alive. Yeah. I felt and I think it is meant to be implied that he was attracted to Hutter as well.
1: And wanted to keep him as his manservant.
0: Maybe he's just lonely in that castle all by himself.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I did not find as much like sexual content in this as you did, but I can definitely see where you're coming from with it.
0: Well, I think it's not as obvious because when you go to 90s vampire movies, that's they're just all about sex. Oh yeah. Right. And same with um uh, Twilight. Yeah. It is just a metaphor for sex and that's very clearly what it is, mm-hmm. while on this one it's weird. It's not straight up there, and it's harder to see when you have a character who isn't attractive in any way, right? But he still, of course, has a draw over all of these people. Like, uh, Ellen is still enthralled with him in some way, right? Ellen is a much more interesting role than most women have in vampire movies, it's interesting because she is making that choice and she is self sacrificing. Like she knows the lore and she knows that if she can uh entrap him, mm-hmm. she's taking that power back. She's not just won over by like the Dracula sexuality or the what's Pattinson's name in those movies?
1: Uh, Edward. Edward.
0: He's, she's not just won over like in a lot of them. She has the power and she is the cause of mm. Dracula's death.
1: I thought that was a fun way to end it. It was her being like, I know how to fix this. And it's like self-sacrifice.
0: And also I think that choice is based on uh, there's some sexual desire there because he, uh, Orlock is so enthralled with her. So we always see that idea of the vampire glamoring or whatever mm-hmm. it is that you're so attracted to them, you're going to do whatever it is. Right. And we do see that in this one, too. Yeah. Because when he's still at his castle, she is reacting to him and what he's doing. Right. And that, I think, that's where I'm saying that the sexual stuff comes in mm-hmm. because it's, it's loaded in with that. It's just he doesn't look good. <laughs> right. This. Yeah. He's
1: not, like, very handsome.
0: But instead, we're kind of turning that around and she's taking back that power, which... Is pretty transgressive for a movie that would be made in like the 2000s, let alone the mm. 1920s.
1: True, those uh, face framing ringlets really, really got Count Orlock. I think
0: this is the first time sunlight kills a vampire.
1: Oh, is this where it started?
0: I think so. It oh. may have been in some books or lore, right? But I think this is the first time it was like put down on paper or celluloid.
1: Oh, well, that's exciting. Yeah.
0: Because in the novel, that's not how he dies. Mm. So you said you were pretty into the movie. Did yeah. you feel like it dragged or anything?
1: No, I don't think so. I felt like it was definitely slower moving than some of the stuff that we've watched. But I was pretty entranced by like the score and the visuals that I didn't feel like it was super long. I think this movie definitely didn't feel like it dragged. Um, It was different than other movies we've watched, but not in a bad way. Yeah,
0: and there are, of course, places where I would cut things, like having the the knowledge of now, like maybe some of that traveling sequences.
1: (laughs) There was a lot of traveling in this
0: movie. (laughs) But they don't bother me all that much. Like, first of all, I think you could cut out like a half hour from every Marvel movie too. Right. I think you could cut out like, pretty much an hour from every Judd Apatow comedy, but (laughs) that doesn't mean they're bad. I think a lot of movies could be cut out. And I think it's just hard to wrap my head around talking about this movie when this movie wasn't building on that many things. We talk about so many of our movies now and how they're breaking the rules and how they're different from other things. But what do you talk about when it's there weren't
1: rules? Yeah, this (laughs) I liked... Because it had way less plot than a normal movie, or like a movie we'd watch now, Not yeah, normal, the complexities but, like it was there. a very yeah, it was a very simple story. It didn't go anywhere like crazy. there were no twists. It was just like you kind of knew what you were getting at the beginning, and that you weren't going to be getting anything unexpected,
0: and we watch some movies. For instance, I think it was Freddy's Dead where I was asking you, like, where are they? And you're like, I don't know. Where are the people in the room? And you don't know because it's so poorly directed. It's amazing, I think, to be in 1922 when film language isn't established and to not have any errors like that. Yeah. There's this movie, how it's shot. Of course, like, the camera doesn't move nearly as much. Shots are longer. All of that makes perfect sense because you know you couldn't do that kind of thing mm-hmm. but to have the film language so established already and to just really know what you're doing it's it's so well directed and that surprised me i thought there would be a lot of parts where you kind of don't understand what's happening because they don't have that knowledge of the of the film language mm-hmm. but we see movies because we watch like sometimes we watch shitty lifetime movies yes. of that, <laughs> and they don't have it no. and this and guy it, had it in 1922 yeah,
1: which is crazy
0: And just that this movie is the first, or amongst the first, to do and even create so many of these techniques, but also that it comes from a period where movies didn't have to be a certain way. Like, they were creating what they thought movies should be. And now we're so much more set or maybe closed-minded into what the elements of film should be. But before that existed... Maybe we just have a traveling sequence that is as mundane as traveling would be. And like, yeah, why not? That makes perfect sense if you haven't watched many movies before. Mm-hmm. If you're saying, hey, traveling is really long and it takes a long time, so let's make it long and, in the movie. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense, I guess. But now we would just be like, yeah, but we don't need to show it because we have the understanding because of the movies that have come before that, yeah, we're shortening that down because that's less interesting.
1: They're kind of banking on the viewer having knowledge.
0: Yeah. And at this point, we didn't have that knowledge. Yeah. So this is kind of the antithesis to uh, A Christmas Prince where that movie is 99%. You've seen this before, so you know what happened. So we don't need to tell you. This movie is telling you those things, but maybe not even telling you, just allowing you to feel all Mm -hmm. of those things. Whoa! I don't know. (laughs) I think it was a a very enjoyable watch. I think there's, of course, all the historical stuff like, oh, it created this, it created this. I think it's just good and it's kind of spooky. I think it still holds up and uh, you should watch it like every Halloween. It made me want to watch more silent movies again like I used to.
1: It kind of made me want to experience more silent movies.
0: Well, we'll get to Caligari pretty soon because that's my favorite, I think. Right and metropolis i think is so great the Gollum is very good pretty much all of those 20s oh we can watch sunrise that was a Murnau movie when he came to the u.s and it's very good as well
1: i think the only silent movie that i've really seen is dr jackal and mr hyde how'd you like that it was very cool it was a different experience because they were playing the organ It was very cool to kind of see it and you could like literally feel the music because it was so loud and right around you. Um, But I forgot how good scores are, like well done scores. And
0: it's just a whole nother layer to these Mm -hmm. movies. And there are so many different versions of Nosferatu with different scores. There's like some metal versions. There's a bunch of electronica and synthy ones. We had uh, the version. What's his name? Hans Erdmann, I think. I don't remember. But the original score was made by someone who I think his name is Hans Erdemann. This was a recreation of that one. So this is as close to the 1922 score as you could get as well. And I think it's great. I think it's a very good score.
1: I thoroughly enjoyed the score.
0: Well, we'll wrap up here pretty much. But if you did like this, go watch some more silent movies. Uh, Werner Herzog did a remake in the 70s with Klaus Kinski playing Nosferatu, which is also very cool. Uh-huh. Quite different though, but no, you know, not Was that it different. Silent?
1: No. Oh, okay.
0: There's two versions of it. They've made it simultaneously in German and English, so you can watch either one.
1: Oh weird. Yeah. Huh.
0: And I hear Eggers, who did um The Lighthouse, The Witch, the Northmen, is remaking this as well. So I would be very curious to see what he does with it.
1: Interesting.
0: And most people probably have just seen Nosferatu from SpongeBob SquarePants.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, I never watched SpongeBob. So I me don't neither. Know. But
0: I, whenever I've talked about this, people are like Nosferatu, like the thing from SpongeBob, and I was like, wait, what do you mean? So I had to look up that clip, uh. and they have uh, in the show. They have like an actual photo of this Nosferatu in the cartoon. Hmm. And he's just flipping light switches on and off. <laughs> it was pretty good.
1: With the super long fingers. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, maybe we should end there because I have a lot to talk about. But we don't want to open up anything new, I think. Yeah. So Nosferatu, thumbs up. You have to say You're giving me two thumbs oh, up.
1: Oh, sorry. It's a podcast. Uh, yes. Two thumbs up.
0: Two thumbs up from Samantha. This- wow. I I gotta say, I'm quite surprised and pleased.
1: I do like movies with words, though.
0: Nope, no more words ever. Oh, no! Let's thank our second sponsor of the episode, and that is StoryHive. Calling all new and emerging content creators in BC and Alberta. In case you haven't heard of StoryHive, they've been supporting storytellers in Western Canada since 2013. This year, they're celebrating their 10th anniversary with the biggest edition yet. The story Hive Anniversary Documentary Edition is funding 80 short documentaries on any local story you are passionate about. You could get $20,000 in production funding, training and mentorship, and distribution on TelesOptic TV and Stream Plus. If you live in BC or Alberta and you have an idea for a short documentary, now is the time to send in your pitch. Send in your application by February 28th at storyhive.com slash apply. And I, on a personal note, know people who have gotten funding from this, so yeah, go do it. They actually, like, it's a real thing if you are a, a filmmaker who is kind of just getting going. This is a great resource for you. So go check out Story Hive. Wow. Well, next week you can come back here and we will each have a spoiler-free thing of the week or thing of the every second week.
1: (laughs) Thing of the Fortnite.
0: There you go. Things of the Fortnite.
1: Oh, I like that. That makes it sound spooky.
0: It does. Or we'll just get a lot more listeners because people will think we're talking about the video game Fortnite.
1: True. Hashtag Fortnite. (laughs)
0: And Samantha will let us know what we're watching for the big watch after that. And she has promised it will be another silent movie. I
1: have not promised that. Oh. Um, I
0: hoped it would be another silent movie, <laughs> but I don't think it will be.
1: No, um, I kind of thought that the anniversary episode is next. So I kind of forgot to plan anything. So,
0: Well, you never do anyway.
1: No, but usually <laughs> I pick a little bit further in advance but we'll see
0: (laughs) we'll see and i promise to do no more than one silent movie a year
1: okay everyone we'll see you next week bye
0: bye everybody